Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, patients, families, colleagues, and curious folk to the PM&R Report. Our podcast is brought to you by the University of Texas at Houston in conjunction with McGovern Medical School and TIRR Memorial Hermann Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. We bring you another segment of medical explanation, reviews of current literature, expert opinions, debates, and just plain interesting stuffs. The UT Health McGovern Medical School Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation promotes diversity year-round. We are joining the celebration of Pride Month this June by sharing a podcast on healthcare disparities in the LGBTQ community by our guest speaker, Carl Joshart. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Jason Edwards. I'd like to thank you for joining us for the PM&R Report. Our podcast is brought to you by the University of Texas at Houston in conjunction with McGovern Medical School and TIRR Memorial Hermann, Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. On today's podcast, we'll be sharing an interview with Carl Joshart, which was conducted following his recent presentation at TIR Memorial Hermann, Equity and Climate Issues for LGBT Patients and Employees. Carl Joshart is an accomplished healthcare executive with over 30 years of experience including 11 years as CEO of Tier Memorial Hermann, leadership experience in acute care, ambulatory care, and earlier in his career, a clinical social worker. Carl's career has been distinguished by a commitment to social justice and serving underserved or historically disadvantaged populations, including individuals impacted by poverty, racial, ethnic, or religious discrimination, and promoting equality for the LGBT community. Carl is a frequent speaker and lecturer in topics ranging from healthcare administration, social work, and issues related to disability and access to equitable healthcare for historically underserved communities. In 2017, Carl was named a distinguished alumnus of the Brown School of Social Work. He is a senior fellow with the American Leadership Forum Houston Gulf Coast Chapter, a graduate of the Center for Houston's Future Business and Civic Leadership Forum, and in 2003, was named a Health Ethics Trust Fellow. Carl is active with many community organizations, including currently serving on the board of Holocaust Museum Houston and previously on the board of the Anti-Defamation League Houston. Carl holds a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's degree in social work from Washington University in St. Louis. Carl, thank you for joining us. Thank you, great to be with you. I thought you had some interesting points that you brought up during your lecture. One of which that I think is very encouraging is the changes to meaningful use that are going to incorporate some of the, um, our ability to document sexual orientation or gender identity and the potential effect this is going to have on, on research in the future. Could you maybe speak a little bit about that? Yeah, so it's, um, I think it's very encouraging that uh, the meaningful use guidelines are Published and they impact um, all healthcare providers that use electronic documentation, which is essentially uh, everyone now. And in order to qualify for federal funds um, that are available for various uh, compliance level with meaningful use, that data is now going to need to be captured and searchable and available to clinicians. 
And so as we talked about, I think one of the barriers to uh, knowing what uh, best practices uh, in treating LGBT folks is having access to good data. Um, when those questions aren't even asked and they're not searchable in the medical record, uh, even um, you know a clinician who has a question can't uh, easily access that data to formulate an opinion about how to treat somebody most effectively. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good point. Another point that you brought up was the gaps in, in medical education um, in terms of training and really, I mean, as a recent graduate, I, I know I can say myself, you know, it's, it's a subject that's kind of brushed over. Um, it's not really addressed. And one thing I really liked that you brought up was the importance of including uh, affirmative imagery, both in your practice, in medical education. Um, do you have any recommendations on how to go about encouraging institutions to do that? Well, I think there's lots of opportunities. Um, one of the changes that we've seen in the mainstream media is the um, frequency and the prevalence of characters on TV and in commercials that are LGBT. And just that presence alone has done a lot to change, um, you know, to change attitudes and beliefs and create acceptance. So I think among the simple things is to look at medical textbooks and, and reference materials. And if every single time we have a picture or an image of a couple or, uh, uh, you know, um, somebody presenting for treatment, we don't have diversity in those images, then that reinforces a stereotype that those people don't exist. Um, I think just changing, um, you know, medical education resources, just the pictures, is a start in and of itself. That's a good segue for, for talking about the fear that the LGBTQ population has um, of discrimination in healthcare, and and the importance of including imagery to um, alleviate any fears about being open and honest with their healthcare providers. Um, you provided some very profound data showing the, the impact this can have on health and the um, choices that the LGBT community makes and moving away from their family or making um, very important life decisions. Another thing you touched upon was visitation in the hospital setting. I know this is something I, I myself have seen. Um, this was prior to the legalization of gay marriage where a longstanding partner of an individual was not allowed to have a say in, well, first of all, wasn't allowed to visit. Second, was given no say whatsoever in the care of their loved one, where a family member, basically a strange family member, was making the decisions for the patient. How has this changed since the legalization of same-sex marriage? So I think there have been um, so many steps forward. So I think gay couples who choose to, be, to marry are obviously now required to be allowed the same visitation. Um, we're seeing that uh, in practice, it's still much more likely that a gay couple or a lesbian couple would be asked to prove their relationship to provide documentation, whereas I've never in my 30 years in healthcare seen a heterosexual couple ask for their marriage license. 
Um, so I, I, hopefully that will change. But, but I think at least now people have a legal right to be there. But I think depending on the age of the couple, many people have been together for many, many, many years and uh, when marriage was not an option. They may or may not choose to get married, but that shouldn't um, diminish the status of that relationship. And so I think there's still work to be done to make sure that um, just like in many communities, we see um, some preference given or some standing given to what's called kind of common law marriages. You know, we need to provide that same accommodation uh, to gay couples who are in a committed relationship who maybe, for whatever reason, don't feel that marriage is the right option for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, You shared a very powerful story on one of your own experiences where your partner at the time, you had notified him you were in the hospital, and his first response was to go home and get a copy of the Durable Power Medical Mm -hmm. Attorney. And then you pointed out, I I think, something that was very important, that this is a a socioeconomic uh, limit, potentially limiting factor. I mean, not everyone has that or has the means to obtain that. How do we address that limitation? Yeah, and I think that's why we need to make sure that these um, practices are written into policies and procedures in the institutions. My partner and I, now husband, um, were very fortunate in that we had the disposable income available to spend several thousand dollars with an attorney to make sure that we created uh, the legal right for each other to make financial, medical, and other kinds of legal decisions for each other. But many, for many people, that would be beyond their reach. And so we need to make sure that those kinds of things are embedded into the institutional guidelines and policies and procedures so that it's not just people in the higher socioeconomic Uh, levels that have access to this level of fairness. Thank you. Um, A couple other things you covered on, too, were some special considerations for specific populations, say, like uh, the LGBT youth. Um, But one that I think sometimes gets less attention is is actually the the seniors that are among the LGBT community. And I, I think one thing that really struck me from your lecture was talking about how some of them choose to basically go back into the closet for fear of discrimination. And this is something I feel like that relates to us specifically in, in physiatry and dealing with you know, post-acute care. We send patients to these facilities a lot, and it's, it's probably not something that many of us have thought about. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be done here. The federal government has made guidelines for anyone receiving a contract for the federal government that I think it's 23% of all of your contracts need to go to minority-owned businesses. And that was a commitment to make sure that historically underserved groups would get a fair chance to um, compete on even playing field. So I think large health systems have the um, opportunity to exert influence through their economic impact of referrals and to say to post-acute providers in the community that we will not refer to you unless you have policies on your books that make sure that the LGBT population or other disadvantaged populations have equal access to care. Um, What I have found is that 
economics can lead the change. Um, when my partner and I first were married, before it was legal in 1998, um, we found the power of the checkbook very powerful in selecting a florist and a photographer and a caterer. Uh, people wanted our business, and they were willing to accommodate uh, in order to earn our business. And so I think um, sometimes um, you can change things through sort of the economic power you have and, and maybe attitudes come later, um, but that doesn't mean we should wait for the attitudes. We do have other levers that we can pull uh, to start changing the community that we live in. Okay. And speaking of change, um, I know you, you brought up that in looking through the literature, you basically found no articles on, on LGBT and disability. Um, I thought that was interesting. So how do we as, as, how do we as residents, how do we as attending physiatrists, how do we go about changing that? Yeah, I think that we need to start making this a priority um, in, in our curricula. I mean, I think that one of the things that happened after the lecture today was a number of the physicians in the room talked about uh, patients that they were currently or had recently treated who had questions for them that they sincerely wanted to do the right thing and couldn't find medical literature to help them guide their medical decision-making practice. And so whether it's the physician desk reference for you know, medications, we need to put pressure on, on the you know, publishers of reference materials to make sure that you know, they include you know, the, the special circumstances and that they fund research or that people who develop new medications and treatments you know, um, you know, include other populations. Um, if you looked back in the medical literature you know, 30 years ago, uh, women, you know, which is essentially 50% of our population, were vastly underrepresented. And so NIH and other organizations made a commitment to trying to equalize that. And today, it's not perfect, but we've made great strides. We need to do the same thing in how we um, prioritize these populations to call them out so that we know um, what the best practice is. And so back to the, the meaningful use standards, that was updated in 2015? Yeah, October 2015. Okay, and how do you, or what's the kind of timeline that you anticipate in terms of actually seeing change with that? Do you have any insight there? Um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see. I think um, the, you know, the, there are just two or three um, producers of electronic health records in the United States. They have the vast majority of all uh, hospital systems, of the big hospital systems. Uh, Cerner and Epic are a couple of them. If they fix this quickly, it will ripple quickly throughout at least the hospital's uh, uh, industry. Um, many physicians in private practice, however, across the country are in very small practices, still maybe practice in a practice where there's only one to three to five physicians, and uh, probably use a homegrown or maybe a smaller vendor. And um, so I think we might see 
rapid change in the hospital-based care, but maybe perhaps slower change in some of the community, just because there hasn't yet been as much of a consolidation in that market with the vendors. Mm-hmm. And in closing, you, you made a comment at the end about some of your personal experiences and how you, you choose to be the stone that's thrown and that creates a ripple that affects everything around you. First of all, thank you for coming and speaking with us today. Again, I think that's it's one more ripple. Um, definitely everybody was very engaged and, and had a lot of questions afterwards. What should we be doing from here? Well, I think that, um, you know, I was very pleased on the one hand to see how engaged people were and sincerely interested. I was a little disheartened to hear questions from um, physicians in the room who were uh, much younger than I am to say that they still feel um, that there's a lot of discrimination. What I would encourage people to do is to be brave to the extent that they can and be out and open. Many of the, uh, I, I think change only happens through people rubbing up against one another. And it can be very hard to invite um, comments that feel uncomfortable, but I think if we hide, we're we're not moving forward. And so um, there are enough of us out there now who are out and open that there is an available social support network to help you navigate through that. And I would encourage anyone who's struggling with whether they want to be out about their sexuality to find a mentor, to find somebody that they can trust and be as open as possible so that they can um, be another one of those stones that kind of ripple through and start to change uh, some of these long health beliefs. All right. Thank you so much. Carl Joseph again. Um, Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, as we close another session of our podcast, I would like to make it clear that we make every effort to broadcast correct information. We will double check facts and assertions, but we do ask our listeners to realize that medicine is a constantly changing science and an art. One physician may have an entirely different way of doing things from another, and any views expressed are solely those of the person expressing them. We welcome any comments, suggestions, and correction of errors. We do not accept any money, services, or sponsorship otherwise from pharmaceutical, supplement, or device companies. By listening to this podcast or reading this blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you may be treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog. Under no circumstances shall McGovern Medical School, any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog, or any employees, associates, or affiliates of UT Health be held responsible for damages arising from use of this podcast or blog. We are here to stimulate the dialogue. We are here to get the wheels spinning. We are here to spark new questions in the field of medicine. Thank you for listening.